0: It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my my, mind back to my senses? Welcome, neighbor,
1: to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show, taking old school viral. I'm your host. Amanda O'Fox Gillespie.
0: It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to my senses?
1: Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness in slow learning, in using our interests, our skills, and information as a way of connecting, growing, and helping to create the world we hope to inhabit together. Today is another in our What is Essential" series, where we ask, what must we know, practice, and study to prepare ourselves for living in the world we now inhabit and the world we expect to come to inhabit. Together, folk university and you are creating the syllabus of the future today's topic is the second in a series on money and we will be learning more about the money mindset how to make money how to leverage what you already have and answer all those difficult questions about getting in and out of a mortgage and a home where are you listening from today who are the people that have walked and cared for the land and water where you live, work, and play. Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Kluhus, Kla'amen, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, these people who have walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. So I'm really specially honored today to introduce Hung Lu, Hong Lu, who educates families on how to be mortgage-free in under 10 years, regardless of education, financial situation, and age. Although, once again, perhaps Folk University is really the ultimate education. Uh, She specializes in real estate investing, including leads and offers an online real estate teaching platform, and she... Was able, She must know something, because she was able to retire from engineering in her early 40s to travel full-time with her son. So we are going to pick her brain and hopefully learn all sorts of practical skills um, for ourselves so that we can all be a little bit more financially independent. Welcome.
2: Thank you. I am so happy to be here.
1: Um, well, I'm really excited to have you here, and I, I want to start... Um, with a little bit more about you, okay. your story, your credentials are really exciting. And I feel like, of course, we're all going to listen to you, but I want to know a little bit more about whether your story is just the story of someone who was born with money and resources and then was able to kind of do well by them. Or is your story one that gives, you know, a little bit different than that.
2: I hope my story does give a lot of inspiration because I, did not come from a family of money. My parents came to Canada with five kids. So I am from an immigrant family. And we came with nothing. Absolutely nothing. I could count on one hand when I was growing up all the gifts that I got for the entire year on one hand. So we had very little, if anything. We had ourselves and that was it. And growing up, I was always told, Hong, you have to put yourself through school. We don't have enough money to pay for five kids to go to university, and you have to go to university. (laughs) So I I was told very young that I had to find my own way. And so one of the things that I did when I was 16 was I found a way to put myself through university without knowing how I was going to do that. So I'm hoping that my story will really inspire individuals out there who don't have a lot of money to really look at what they do have and find another way to make it become wealthy if they want to be and realize that there's things that you could do with money that is not in the mainstream that's not out there But if you look and if you ask the right questions, you'll be able to find the answers. There's people out there more than happy to give that assistance, to share the knowledge out there so that you can have as much money as you want to live the life that you want. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that
1: in my short acquaintance with you is that um, you you provide just really easily in your everyday kind of correspondence, um, practical information, things that feel like that they're actionable. Um, and maybe that's just because I, I was introduced to you you as sort of like the money (laughs) woman. So I felt really comfortable from the beginning, um, um, asking you all those kinds of questions. But, uh, but I appreciate that. Um, that, well, one, I think that, that sort of, okay, you seem to come about money from a you can attitude um, mm. that feels like something I recognize. Um, and two, I appreciate, I think there is a little bit of an immigrant mindset sometimes at just at, at seeing what's possible. Mm. Do you think, is there an aspect of you being an immigrant that you see
2: how money and um, making money is possible here? So I'm, I'm not sure if it's that immigrant mindset, but more that it's just challenging what's out there and saying, you know, questioning it and then saying, OK, well, is that a story that I got from my parents? And is that a story that I want to keep? And as I go older, is that something that I want to pass on to my kid? And so it's really just being aware and questioning it and then, you know, Building a network of people that I trust that I can go to and say, hey, I have this question about money. So I think a big part of being an immigrant or being from an immigrant family is that I have that, I have to work at it. I have to do something. There's no just sitting back and letting things happen for me. And so over the last few years, that has been a challenge and a mindset that I've been working on as well to saying, okay, do I really need to keep working? Do I need to constantly keep busy? Because the minute I get bored, I'm like, oh my God, I'm bored, I I can't be bored, <laughs> right? And so growing up, I was always told Hong, you have to go to university, you have to work, you have to get a good job. And so now that I have my financial freedom and I've joined the FIRE movement and I'm able to travel, sometimes I find that I am bored, right? And I question that and then I take a step back and I'm like, I'm really fortunate that I can get bored because there are people who just can't be bored.
1: This is what I always tell my children, <laughs> I'm like boredom is means that you're just need to get quiet enough to get the next moment of, of, of work inspiration. So maybe I need to challenge uh, my own mindset around that, but let's talk about this. You yeah. have said to me that one of the things, one of your goals, both today and yes. in general is to challenge and help change people's mm. money mindsets. Mm. What does that, what does that mean?
2: So one of the things that I encounter pretty much every day, because I do coaching every day around real estate and money mindset, is the mindset that we have to work and that we have to go to a nine to five and take our money, pay taxes and buy a house and then retire. And so there's just so much mindset and challenges around what we can do with money and where we are in our life. And how we view ourselves as, as successful people when it comes to how much money we have in the bank account. So one of the things that I always challenge people is, you know, do you really need more money? And so in real estate, we always talk about how many doors do we have? And one of the things I always get from my new clients is Hong, I want 100 doors by X amount of years. And when I ask them why they want so many doors, they say, well, that's how much money I need to live off of, right? And so it's really questioning, well, how much money do you really need to live off of? And how much money would it take you to be happy in the life that you really want, right? And a lot of times when we talk about breaking down the the dollar, a lot of people have difficulty seeing that sometimes there's good debt, and there's bad debt. Sometimes our house can be an asset, but it can also be a liability. So there's so many different ways at looking at something that really, if you ask the question and then be open to the influx of potential information that can come in, you can really, you know, make a decision that's right for you and your family as to what type of lifestyle you want when it comes to the money aspect of things. So I'm going to ask you
1: um, what is probably a mindset, <laughs> a child, an unexamined mindset. Um, but what I look around and see uh, on this island and a lot of mm-hmm. the islands is that a lot of people who are working very, very hard and it doesn't appear that they're ever going to be able to own a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, and I think there's a sort of idea that because they're not in a home, mm-hmm. and that they will never be financially free.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is that true? Or is that a mindset that actually needs to be challenged?
2: Yeah, so it's definitely a mindset that needs to be challenged because real estate, although many people have become wealthy through real estate, that is not the only way to make wealth, right? So real estate is definitely one avenue. The biggest component of real estate that allows individuals to become wealthy is the aspect of leveraging, right? It's leveraging the bank's money, it's leveraging somebody else's money. So if you are in a low paying job, or minimum wage job, or working part time and not working full time, it is very, very hard to save, it is very, very hard to make your money stretch the entire month. And a lot of families will run out of money before the month is up because there's just not enough money to go around if you are in a minimum wage job, minimum wage or part-time job. So one way to potentially be wealthy if you can't get into real estate is to leverage the cash that you do have in another way that you can invest. So as long as you're investing more than the inflation rate and the interest rate, then you'll come out ahead. So one of the things that I've been working on recently is, you know, because of COVID, the inflation rate has gone up significantly. So we're looking at maybe, you know, 3, 4, 5% by the end of this year. Right, which is really high. And then if you've got a mortgage and your mortgage rate is 2%, Right? That automatically takes you to 6%, 7%. So if your investments are not making more than 7%, you're basically just breaking even for that course of the year. right? So one of the things to keep in mind is that real estate is just one way of getting wealthy. And if you can get into real estate, fantastic. I'm a big believer in leveraging in real estate. But if you can't do it in real estate, there's other ways. And that's where the education comes in. And that's where networking with other individuals and looking at what other individuals are doing. There's business opportunities out there. There's ways to leverage and what I like to call creating a golden goose, right? You want to create that golden goose so that your money is working for you. I I,
1: I have so many questions about that. Should we go around? like should we go deeper into that or should we go and talk a little bit more about some of these other mindset challenges um, and then go back to this?
2: What do you think? So the golden goose is definitely a topic that um, I, I love to talk about because it really encourages you to take take a step back and just let your money work for you. So the whole concept of the golden goose is, is one that I love to talk about. So before I forget about you know, your your question about what can people do if if they don't get into real estate? There's opportunities out there, and it's really just connecting with people and finding out ways to do that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like like with you (laughs) after the show or even during the show um one of the things i forgot to say is we will be taking your questions today live in the studio so you really 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 ought to take advantage of this free money making session um with hong so you may call in whenever there's a musical break at 250-935-0200 and i find that hong is really capable of easy and challenging questions so you don't have to just like sit back and be like well, yeah, that's easy for you to say, but I don't know anyone who has any money. Uh, so where do I start? You call like call call in. So um, uh, so h- how about we we uh ask you another question, but then we're gonna have to get back to this idea of a golden goose okay. because I, I want a golden goose and and I have been looking for them and all I can find are those normal goose <laughs>
2: the geese. The organic free range
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The organic <laughs> free range ones, which are really expensive as if they were made from gold, but <laughs> don't Absolutely. seem to have the same uh, effect okay one of the other things and i think uh you what you were just talking about really gets into this um this one of the mindsets that i have which is that debt is bad mm. um and so is debt debt bad is some debt bad um i've heard a statistic mm. that Canadians have like more credit card debt than I think any other um, people in the world which Mm -hmm. seems really scary so to talk to
2: us about debt okay so debt overall can be good and can be bad it really depends on where you're sitting in the whole conversation so for myself I love debt right I came to realize after I bought my first home that and and I had been you know, working at paying down my mortgage, and I realized, wait a minute, I have an asset-generating property, and if I can leverage that and have more debt, I can actually buy more properties. And that's when I realized that having a mortgage as an investor was a good thing. And so that debt in that case was a positive thing. It was a great thing to have because now I was able to leverage the bank's money. And so if you're sitting in your own home, in your comfortable couch listening to me, look around and say, okay, is this home that I'm living in, am I generating money from this home? And if your answer is no, then that means you're sitting in a liability. What that means is you're sitting in debt. But if you have a rental unit, if you're able to generate some sort of profit from your house, then you actually have good debt. Okay, Now, not all is lost. If your answer is no, Hong, I'm sitting here and I'm paying my monthly payments on my mortgage and I'm not generating an income, it's not the end of the world because there is actually a way that you can turn that around and actually make your house into a tax deductible good debt. Okay, so one of the things that I teach families is how to be mortgage free in 10 years. And one of the things that I teach them is how to use the Smith's Maneuver. And the Smith's Maneuver, I love this. I came across this when I got my first home and I was doing it even before I knew that there was a name to it. And for those of you who are in B.C., you'll love this concept because the gentleman who created the Smith's Maneuver is from B.C. So he's local for you guys and he basically came up he found a loophole it wasn't he created it he found a loophole in our tax system that allows us to use our primary home as a way to write off our taxes in our taxes the interest that we pay on our primary property to leverage for an investment which is fantastic so once i realized this i w- i started leveraging my first home which I was living in as, par- as part of my primary residence, and I was leveraging my first home, making investments, writing off the interest on my line of credit, my HELOC, and then whatever profit I was making from my investments, I was dumping that 100% right back into my primary residence. And from that, I was able to pay off my very first house in 10 years. And I was able to leverage my first home and buy a second, buy a third, buy a fourth, and fifth and sixth.
1: Okay, I'm going to need more details here. All right, so um, so you have a house, and you, I did you like you got your first house when you were university age, right? I was,
2: yes, I was in second year university, and I brought my first triplex.
1: Okay, and so. Um, Okay, first we need to understand maybe how you managed to get a triplex as a university student, because I can't imagine you had a very good job.
2: I was working three or four part-time jobs while going to school full-time doing a five-year engineering program. So as you can imagine, I was running already, (laughs) like running full steam ahead, and I, I had no money. Right. I was living on my own. I was getting no financial support from my family at all. I was on 100% OSAP. What's OSAP? Uh, OSAP is the Ontario Student Assistance Program. Okay. Right, And so I was very fortunate. I, I qualified for, for that tuition to help me pay for the school year. And the only way that I was able to buy my first triplex in Toronto was the real estate agent that I was communicating with. He said to me, Hong, you could buy this home. You have $9,000 sitting in the bank account, which was my OSAP money, which was supposed to pay for my food, rent and tuition and bucks and whatever fun I could get out of that. He said, Hong, I will show you how to buy your first home with that $9,000. I had no idea what he was talking about. I had nobody, you know, like I I wasn't in communication with my family. I had no mentors. I had no real estate influence, no business investment influences, except for this one real estate agent who said, I will show you how to buy this home that you like with your $9,000.
1: Wow. I thought he feels just like an angel. So you took your student loan money and you... (laughs) got a house yes and then you you're sitting there and you think to yourself okay well now I'm going to use my access to debt basically Mm -hmm. right I'm going to use my access to debt which means that then like what you got the house and then you went to the bank and you said I want to borrow against it
2: not right away so this took some learning because there wasn't anybody that I could go to and ask. Okay, now what do I do with this home? So I actually continued with my engineering education. I went to school. I worked my three part-time jobs, and I very slowly learned about dealing with tenants. That you know, um, doing home renovations. I was very fortunate that one of the contractors that I used um, let me shadow him, and I was able to learn how to do plumbing, how to do some minor drywalling, electrical. But the leveraging of the money didn't come until after I was done university. I actually worked as a full-time engineer, 40 plus hours, had a good paying job, and it was only after that I was working full-time as an engineer that I realized, wait a minute, why am I not leveraging my real estate property? I've got tenants paying rent, I'm able to pay down my mortgage, why am I not leveraging it more? And it was only asking that question and learn. And that was when I really started learning that process about what money was and what I could do with that money. But the whole concept of leveraging and OPM, you know, and house hacking, I had no idea what any of that was.
1: I have no idea what any of it is either. So, you're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, so Love it. OPM, house hacking. I yes. mean, just the idea of house hacking, it sounds really good. So, okay, you're sitting there. Mm-hmm. You're thinking to your, like, all of a sudden you're getting wiser and wiser. Yes. Um. But we don't want to have to get as wise as you got. We want you just to tell us. <laughs> um, so could, like, could you have... um. Y- Borrow it against your home. I'm assuming that's what leveraging it is. Yes, yes. So
2: Exactly. So leveraging is just leveraging whatever assets you have and leveraging that to get access to more funds and more money and then taking that money and investing it in something that's going to generate profit. So now if you take your assets and – leverage that and then you take that money and you go buy a car or go buy a tv or you know take a luxury trip then you're not leveraging it you're actually going into more of the bad debt so there is a distinction there about what you want to do with that money or that asset that you leverage if you leverage it the right way it's not bad debt because it's generating profit in your pocket it's generating cash every single month so that you could potentially live off of that rather than worrying about going to work for a nine-to-five or working for somebody else, right? So the concept of house hacking, it's, so if, if you're in the real estate uh, space, that house hacking is a common term, and a lot of young people will start off house hacking, and what that is, is where you buy a home, you live in one room or one section of the house, and you rent out the other section or the other parts of the house to somebody else. That they, they will pay rent, and that rent money will go towards helping you pay down the mortgage or pay for some of the maintenance fees. And so the more house hacking you can do, and if you leverage that money coming in from From the renters, you can potentially pay off your mortgage faster or make other investments that make sense for you. And so that's really what house hacking is. So now over the years, what I've seen with families who have um, land, they can house hack in other ways. They can rent out their parking space. They can rent out yard space for somebody to park their RV or garden space, right? So house hacking isn't just about the physical space within your home you can actually get very creative now and do something outside of the home to help you house hack and potentially increase some of the potential money that you have coming in so that you could pay down your mortgage a lot faster
1: okay so i think i'm following you um all along here okay (laughs) and then so you're you're so the difference then between this good debt and bad debt is if you're borrowing against your house for instance is then what you do with the money that you've borrowed um so i get all the things you ought not to do um you know like i can tons i mean didn't even begin to mention all of them (laughs) but just think you know anything that sounds really fun don't do that um so but then what do you do i mean do you put it in the stock market? I mean, I I literally have no idea what you do.
2: Mm-hmm. So in terms of okay, so I just want to back up and just touch on what you said about, okay, well, do something with the money and as long as it's not fun, it probably makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so I want to challenge that because you could put that money into building a business for yourself that you love to do, that you're passionate about. And so I spend my days coaching families on how to be mortgage-free and coaching them on how to leverage their money, coaching them on how to buy more real estate and growing their real estate portfolio. And I love doing that. I get so caught up in the conversations that we tend to run over our slotted times. And for me, that's fun, right? And so I will take a portion of my passive income from my rental properties, and I will put that into my business to grow my real estate coaching business. And you can do something fun like that, that is considered an investment, because you're growing your own business. Okay, you do know me, because I do think work is fun. (laughs)
1: Particularly if it doesn't pay you, but I don't think she means that. So
2: (laughs) so, so now talking about, okay, should we put our money into stocks? or put them into somewhere else. So as long as your risk tolerance allows you to make that investment, and as long as you can sleep at night knowing that, okay, worst case scenario, that money that you put into the stocks or the money that you put into whatever investment, as long as you can sleep at night, and as long as if that money was to go sour, if your investment deal went wrong, are you still able to make ends meet, right? One of the biggest things that I always tell my clients is that if losing that chunk of investment money is going to put a hardship on you and your family, then leave that money in your bank account until you understand what you're doing. It's better to take that chunk of money and go and pay for a real estate course. Take a stock trading course take all the education that you need so that you feel comfortable making the decision about where you're gonna put your money. So one of the things that I find with individuals who are just starting out with making investments is that they don't have the understanding of money yet to be able to make a smart decision, right? And so a lot of times I, I get calls from uh, people who are like, "Hung, you know what? I, I heard that this one stock, there's a really good tip on this one stock. I'm thinking about putting 10000 in there, right? And so my takeaway is, okay, well, look, you know what? Even if you made 15% on that stock, worst case scenario, if you lose that 10K, if you lose that investment, are you going to be up at night worrying about that stock? Because if you are, take that money and just make sure you pay down on your debt first, your credit card debts. If you're carrying a balance on your credit card, that's easily 20% right there. Right, So if you paid off your credit card, you're automatically saving 20%. You've made 20% on your money. So which is a safer use of your money than putting it on a stock? Right. So one of the things that I always challenge people is, you know, if you're getting your investment advice from somebody who's not making it wealthy in that area, then maybe you shouldn't be listening to them. Right? <laughs> it's a bit of a harsh thing to say, but... Well, Advice.
1: This yeah. has always been the thing I wondered about um, people who, like, I mean, this is all such a mystery to me, but, you know, like, those, like, people who supposedly help you invest your money. I'm always like, why are they still mm. working if they're so good at this? <laughs> but maybe that's not fair. Because maybe they're like you, because they just love it. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so, um, I i realized just how, what a big mindset this is of mine so mm. so I hope these questions are annoying but I, I still come back to um like a great fear that comes up into mm-hmm. me when as soon as I think about not paying off yes. like my primary yes. home yes. and so I, I feel like even though you've talked a little bit about this like how how to be balance or like Mm. or go deeper into this idea i I get the idea of sort of leveraging it and Mm. doing something good with it but then that's competing with this like oh my gosh like it feels scary to have a big mortgage Mm. which is what i have i have a big mortgage on the home that i want to die in um and you know so and i look around at people on this island and there's Mm. definitely been Neighbors that I've seen who, in order to retire, had to had to sell their homes that they love Mm -hmm. um, and not just sell their homes and downsize, because if you sell your home on this island, it means you're leaving. Mm -hmm. Um, So can can you like I realize this is a mindset that I'm working out of fear here. What would you advise me?
2: So. I absolutely 100 percent believe in paying off the debt that you have on your primary home, 100%. Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to have a safe place, you want to be able to sleep in your own bed and not worry about the bank or whoever holds your mortgage taking it away from you or having to downsize. And so one of the reasons why I teach that mortgage-free program is to help families become mortgage-free so that they will always have their primary home. And one of the big challenges is, well, then how do we pay off that primary home? Like, how do we end up owning it? Because as long as you have a mortgage on that primary home, you never really own it. The bank owns it. And if you take the entire 25 years to pay off that mortgage you're actually buying a home and a half. So I'm going to say that a little bit slower, okay? Because that sometimes is a new concept for many families to understand that if you take the entire 25 years to pay off your mortgage, you're buying a home and a half. You're literally paying half of the value of whatever your home is in interest to the bank. And that is a ton of money, right? So if you can pay off your mortgage in half the time, or in 10 years or less, you're saving a ton of money, right? So one of the things that you can do that everybody who has a mortgage they're able to do is use what I call the Glad method. And if you go into the bank and you ask your mortgage person, okay, tell me about this Glad method, mm-hmm. they're going to look at you like – You're nuts because it is not something that the banks teach and it's not something that's commonly out there. This is just a term that I came up with to help my clients understand how to be mortgage-free. So GLAD is G-L-A-D, right? And the GLAD, the G stands for go accelerated. So the minute you take your monthly payment and you just go accelerated, bi-weekly or weekly, you automatically knock two to three years off your mortgage. Automatically. It it doesn't even matter what your mortgage is, what the interest rate rate is. The minute you go and you tell the bank, hey, you know what? I don't want just one payment coming out every month. I want it to go biweekly, accelerate or weekly accelerated, you automatically knock two or three years off your mortgage, which is a big thing. And you don't have to do anything for that, right? And You don't have to pay extra to get that option to do that. The second part of the Glad method is the L, and that is to go lump sum. So make a lump sum payment every year. And if you have a mortgage, you're allowed to do this once a year. And what this means is you, you can just go into the bank and you can just say, hey, Mr. Teller or Ms. Teller, I have X amount of money saved up as, as a lump, as a chunk of money. I want to put this right against my mortgage. You can do that once a year for as often as you like, as long as you have a mortgage. And the banks don't charge you any extra for this as long as you're within whatever percentage range that they give you. So so there's a, a, a limit to what you can do. But as long as you're within that limit, you can max that out every single year. Okay. The... A in GLAD, okay, so G L A, okay, is the annual increase. And the annual increase is one that not many people know that they even have this option. And what that is, is you can increase whatever payment you're making right now, you can increase that by up to a certain percentage. So if you want to so if you're making a hundred dollars a week right now in payments, you can actually go up to two hundred dollars every single payment. Sorry, I'm gonna backtrack there. Sorry, I jumped ahead of myself there. The annual increase you're only allowed up to maybe ten or twenty percent. So you can add on another ten dollars or twenty dollars to that payment. Sorry, I jumped ahead of myself there. So you can do that and set that up. Let's say if you're on um, a five year term with the bank, you can increase your payment for that whole time if you wanted to, up to a certain amount. Okay, and then the D, which is at the end of the GLAD. So G-L-A-D is to do a double up payment. And this is where you can go up to 100% of whatever payment you're making right now. So if you're at $100 a week, you can actually go up to $200 a week without penalty. One time? No. Every single time. Every single time. So and, and you don't have to do all four of this. So the GLAD, the GLAD, you don't have to do all four of these things to be mortgage-free in 10 years. You can do a combination of these four things. So let's say at the end of the year you get a tax refund from the government and it's $5,000. So you can actually take that $5,000 and put it as a lump sum payment against your mortgage and that will go right against your principal. And there's no penalty for doing that, right? Or you could say, okay, well, I don't want to do it all at once. I'm going to spread it out, and I might want to do a double-up payment for three months, and I'm just going to do $50 every single payment until that $5,000 runs out. And you could totally do that. Right?
1: This is awesome. Okay, but it's all towards this idea that actually of paying off your primary primary home, Yes. Mortgage. Yes. So if you were to like, um, uh, you know, be in a car accident, you're fine. Uh, (laughs) um, And everything's like, you're great, but you get the settlement of $50,000. And Mm -hmm. um, would you, like, is the first thing that you would do um, if you just had one home Mm -hmm. be to pay off your mortgage, like put that towards your mortgage before you thought about, right now where mm. you're int- you're like in a you know less than 2% interest rate because yes. you locked in a while ago yes. or would you invest it in something that was going to give you 10% return
2: so the the quick answer is yes I would pay off my mortgage okay the long answer is yes I would pay off my mortgage and I would make sure I tap into my HELOC pull that money out from my HELOC which is the 50,000 now that's available and I would make that investment and then I would utilize the smiths maneuver to write off the interest from my HELOC against my primary property Okay you're looking at
0: me that, like that <laughs> pause is
2: because I'm giving her I'm like what are you talking about okay.
1: Yeah so could we just like say that whole thing as if maybe one has, you know, the, a, lower, a lower folk university uh, degree. Okay, so I
2: apologize because I'm used to drawing things out. Being, being from an engineering background, I am very, draw everything out. And so, if, if, if you, okay, so if you follow, you're in the car accident and you get this settlement.
1: Right? And, you're fine. Everything, and you're fine. Everyone's fine. fine. <laughs> no one got hurt.
2: <laughs> okay, but you've got this, this windfall. Okay, so your options are pay down your mortgage, okay, or you can take a fancy trip somewhere, okay. So, so you could actually do both, okay, but pay off the mortgage first.
1: Okay, so you pay off the mortgage and then you basically are borrowing against the difference between what you bo- owe the bank and the equity in the home or the value of the home.
2: So you would have a line of credit already yep. established. Yep, line okay. of credit. So as you pay down your mortgage, for every dollar of principal you pay down in your mortgage, you have $1 becoming available in your HELOC, in your line of credit. Okay. So a HELOC is the same thing as a line of credit. A HELOC okay. is just a home equity line of credit. Okay. So for every dollar of mortgage you pay down in principal you get $1 becoming available in your HELOC, okay. So at this stage, you've sort of, there's, there's no wonderful news about what just happened, but what, what becomes the amazing part of using that 50000 to pay off your mortgage is now you've got $50,000 sitting available in your HELOC. And that money is sitting there not being used. It's equity, okay, and it's sitting in your HELOC. Okay, now I, I do want to throw in a bit of caution here because the HELOC money is money that's sitting there and you can use it. And if you use it, it's not free money, right? So that's where that concept of debt comes back in. But here's the thing where it turns it into good debt is that you pull that 50000 from your HELOC and you make an investment somewhere. So whether it's a business, stocks, to buy real estate, as long as it has that potential to make income for you, okay? You wanna pull that money out of your HELOC, knowing the risk, knowing what you're gonna do with that money in the investment. Put that into the investment, and that investment will generate income for you. When you get that income from that investment, then that's when you can either go and take that fancy trip you want, buy whatever luxury item you want, what I always suggest is taking that chunk of money and putting it right back into your mortgage, and so you're forming a circular system with your money, so that dollar is always working for you.
1: Okay, I th- I think I sort of understand, but the but when it's in this heel lock mm-hmm. or in your line of credit, mm-hmm. it's still um, like you still don't own your home to the amount of the whatever is sitting in there, right? I mean, so I, I, is that right? Like, I mean, you're still have this debt that you own to the bank that is leveraged against your home. Yes. But the difference is that that debt is um, movable, that you're do able to do something with it. So it's in
2: circulation. Yes. So one is that you you are moving it around and you're you are able to leverage it and do investments with it. But the reason why you want to do that is because now the interest that you pay on your HELOC is a tax-deductible expense, whereas the interest that you are paying on your mortgage is not. So if you are in the 30% tax bracket, you're actually saving 30% of that dollar because now you've got a taxable expense. Right. you you've got something a deductible that you can write against your own personal taxes. So then you leverage that money and make ten percent, right? So at the end of the day, you're potentially making seven or six percent on your money. You put that six percent right back against your mortgage and that's one of the ways to pay off your primary property in under 10 years.
1: I feel so smart. This feels like an advanced class. You know, one of the things that anybody could at any time do with mm-hmm. that money, that interest that they've made from um, their their line of credit is to donate no, donate it to the radio <laughs> station um, so that we here can keep things like Folk University Radio going. Just, you know, putting it out there in case you're wondering what to do with it. <laughs> um, okay, so I think I strangely understand um what you just said. And so now, um, let's go back to some of these mindset things. One of the things that you saw that I have a major mind problem around is this idea of, of like, who is smart enough to make an investment. Mm. Um, and so I know that you're going to say that, like, that's just a mindset thing, but maybe you can, um, prove it.
2: Hmm. So one of the things that I do is I actually get an independent review of my accounts, my portfolio. And I will actually pay somebody to do that independent review for me. So the way I see it is I would rather pay somebody one, two, three thousand dollars to have that review if I know that I'm going down the right track. And if I can take whatever advice they give me, and I can turn that over a hundred times, it is so well worth paying for that service from that independent person. Right. So when I started out, you know, with the ten thousand, and then that slowly grew. One of the things that I realized when I graduated from university was that. And, and I got the letter from the government saying, or the bank saying, "Hey, congratulations! You owe us now fifty thousand dollars in OSAP money." I, I was floored because I was like, "Wow! I could have just not gone to university, and I would actually have fifty thousand in my pocket right now." <laughs> so, so one of the things that I did was I figured out, okay, you know what? I don't want this student loan debt forever. So, how do I f- pay it off? And I took the same concept of the Glad method and I applied it to my student loan. And I was able to pay my student loan in under three years. And once I realized that I could do that, I was like, okay, well, how come I'm not getting this information from other people, right? And I, I at that point, was working for an engineering firm and they had put me in touch with a financial company. And they were setting me up where for every dollar I put in, the company would match a dollar. So I was getting a dollar for dollar on my investments from that company. And they put me in touch with a financial advisor and the financial advisor did not teach me anything about how to pay off debt, how to grow my wealth. And when I realized that I could pay off my student loan in three years and buy, at that time, my second property, I realized, wait a minute, I might be smarter than some of these financial advisors out there. And maybe I should question the advice that I'm getting. And the, the other part that really knocked it for me was a friend of mine at that time was studying to – they were studying a, um, a course with one of the major banks, and they could not pass the exam and so they came to me and they said, Hong, I'm struggling with some of these questions. Can I just read them to you and you just tell me what you think the answer is? And, and we did that for a couple of the questions and I answered them. And he's like, how did you know that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Is, is, is that not just common sense? And we had a debate going back and forth. And it turned out that my common sense of what I thought of money and how I looked at money was not how he thought of money. And it really made me realize, wow, you're... You're going for a job at the bank. You're going to be teaching me about money as the person at the bank, and yet you can't pass this exam. And so it was, a, it was another eye-opener that, you know, we only know what we know, right? And we know what we're taught by our parents about money. We're taught from adults as we're growing up about money. But as the adult, it's up to us to take ownership of what we know, And to decide, okay, do we want to learn more about money? Do I want to learn some other concepts about how to use money and leverage it? Right? And if we just go based on what we learned from our parents about money, you know, our parents only learned what they know about money from their parents. Right? And so there's so much more knowledge out there about money. Right? And I'm constantly still learning about all the ways that I could utilize my money so that I've got more golden gooses in the eggs or the nest
1: <laughs> so I think we have to go deeper into this okay. understanding of what the golden goose is okay.
2: okay so the golden goose is think of the goose that just lays the egg and because it's a golden goose it's going to give you a golden egg Right? And you can take that golden egg and you can make a golden omelet and eat it. And that's the end of that. okay? Or you could take that golden egg and let it hatch. And I don't really know all the whole concept about how chickens and gooses come to be alive. But if you take that golden egg and you let it hatch into another golden goose, then you will perpetually always have golden eggs available to you. Right. So when you relate that back to money, you want to find something that you can put your money in that's going to constantly generate you money without you doing anything with it. There's really minimum effort from your part and that money is constantly growing. That money is making you more money, right? So another way to think about the concept of the golden goose is think of – um if, if you're a gardener, you want to think about the perennials that you plant. You plant them once and they always come back year after year. It doesn't matter what the seasons are, it will always come back. Or think of um, an apple tree, right? Every single year, you're going to get a new growth of apples, of apples coming, right? So it's the same concept with money. If you can find that golden goose... That golden goose will always as, – as long as you don't kill the goose and don't eat all the eggs, that golden goose will always give you a nest egg.
1: So now I'm, like, immediately thinking about what golden, golden geese could be. Wow, this is – I'm seeing the downside of this whole golden <laughs> goose metaphor. Um, so uh, I know one of the things that you're going to say – well, I'm guessing um, – could be a golden goose oh. is um, – Rental properties, investment properties. So I want to know a little bit about getting into, Mm -hmm. um, you know, say you have a home that you're, that you have a big mortgage on. (laughs) Say, this is not me. It's not me. It's someone else. Um, And you want to start with getting investment properties. Talk can you talk to us about how you would go about doing that? How you did go about doing that? And then what the rules are? Are the rules the same with your investment property as they are with your primary mortgage?
3: Oh, I see
2: what you mean. So that is a loaded question that is not easy to answer in 5 or 10 minutes. So 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 the thing is, okay, so if you want to get your first golden goose, and you've only got the one primary residence, then one way of doing it is looking at whether or not you can add in an in-law suite, add in a basement suite. Uh, Is there something like a garage that you can rent out? So is there something that you can do with that property, with, with that physical property to start off with? The other option is to look at the equity that you have already built in your home and tap into that equity uh, through a HELOC. So you can go to your bank and say, hey, you know what, I've got this property, it's worth X amount of money. And I only owe so much, I've got all this equity. Can I get a HELOC? You know, can I do something with that to be able to tap into that equity? So then once you're able to tap into that equity, then you can leverage that equity as your golden goose. Right. And there's so many options like the business, the stocks, buying another real estate property. Um, and, you know, you don't even have to buy your own real estate property to invest in real estate. You can actually just put it into a RIT. You could put it into a MEC. You could lend your money to somebody who's better at real estate and has the experience and you just lend your money to them and make a percentage off of their profit.
1: I'm excited about all these things, and I'm going to write the, all those m- RICs and RICs and oh. those things oh, down, sorry. and then I, you're yes. going to have to explain them. Sure.
2: <laughs>
1: we, we're going on a break in just a few minutes, but we have an hour, so <laughs> don't think you're getting out of it. Um, okay, so we can lend our money to someone else, or we can invest in a, m- r- a R-E-I-T. R-E-I-T. R-E-I-T.
2: Yes, or a mech.
1: Okay. Okay. What do those mean?
2: So the REIT is the Real Estate Investment Trust. So you're basically giving your money to a firm who will manage your money, and they will buy real estate holdings as a group. Okay? Um, And then the MIC is a mortgage firm. So you would put your money in with this MIC firm, and they will invest it for you in other real estate properties— by holding the mortgage so now by doing this you are not being a landlord you don't have to worry about maintenance you don't have to worry about you know physically owning a property you're basically putting your money out there and letting somebody else manage the money for you and leveraging it that way
1: so you're like it's like having a whole bunch of partners yes um that you don't know
2: I would always recommend that you vet them and you make sure you meet the main stakeholders of these firms and understand who they are, what they believe in. Make sure you are comfortable and trust them before you give any money out to them. The other thing that I would always recommend is understand what the risks are with lending your money or putting your money into these types of investment opportunities. And also find out what their fees are. A lot of times these fees are not hidden. They're, they'll actually be very upfront about what the fees are, but those fees will take away, eat away at your profit, at your potential uh, earnings, because these firms are taking a, a cut of what you're making. Right. So there's lots of opportunities out there in terms of finding that golden goose, and all of us has have a different risk tolerance, and so what my golden goose might not be, what your golden goose is.
1: But we do know that your golden goose is um, investment properties. Yes. So if you kind of step your way up to the point of getting into investment properties, um, do you uh, work in the same way to um, pay down? your mortgage mm. and get the and get all these also into the place of having a line of credit.
2: Yes, so so this is where a lot of real estate investors will differ in their advice. So so half of us who are real estate investors believe that because it's an investment property, we want to leverage that debt to the max all the time. And once we leverage that, we buy more real estate and then buy more leverage, buy more leverage and keep that process going. I'm of the mindset that even if they are my real estate investment holdings, I want those to be paid off as quickly as possible so that I can keep more of the cash flow from the rental income and have that security that I know that those properties are going to be eventually paid off faster and that I don't have to worry about the bank potentially taking those investment properties away from me or defaulting. And that if for some reason my tenants don't pay the rent or something unforeseeable happens with those investment properties, that I still can keep those investment properties. So there's two different mindsets around how to deal with investment properties, which is slightly different from the primary property because really we should want to pay off our primary property as fast as as we can. So the way to, you know, so so that's the whole concept of the debt around the primary versus the investment property. But in terms of the mortgage and obtaining the mortgage, there are slight differences because when you go to the bank and you say, "Hey, Mr. Banker, I'm I'm wanting to buy this investment property," they have different criteria of how you can qualify for that mortgage. It's not as simple as just saying, "Hey, I only have five percent down, and so I want to buy this this investment property." They look at different restrictions and requirements that the government set up, the banks have set up to monitor how you buy your investment properties. And then there's, you know, different down payment requirements and so forth like that.
1: Okay. Well, this is a good time to have a moment for a drink of a little sip of water. Um, and we are momentarily going to go to some music. We have all local music by our uh, local, um, amazing Canadian, Cortez Island based uh, band called the Wakaneers. So uh, you're going to get to enjoy some of that. And what I really want is you to call in here to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio and the Folk You Radio Show, and ask your money questions. Let's, let's get a little smarter together. Um, I'm learning a lot, and I hope you are too. And you can really use this uh, to learn as much as you want. So when you call in to 250 zero, zero. You do not go on the air. You just get directly to talk to Hong or myself, and then we will answer your question on the air. So this is a really low uh, low risk, low, low fear way to, to get your questions answered. So I do hope you'll take this opportunity to, to call in and, um, and ask your, your questions, simple or advanced or um, challenging or easy um, to Hong. So I'd love to hear from you. Here at the radio station 25093502 on Cortez Community Radio.
0: Full of people and they're all related to me. I've got several million relatives in every country. We are all descendants and extended family All the plants and the animals and all humanity I'm a brother to the birds and a cousin to the trees I'm an uncle to the oceans and the fishes in the seas Since we're all related, I've got no enemies From the greedy politicians to the sea and enemies every piece of this world is a part of the whole everything that i see is connected to me what i give you is a gift to birth And my heart is made of minerals I borrow from the earth This body of mine's like a second-hand car All the parts it is made of are dust from the stars The food that I eat was recycled from food that's been around the world Could have been a part of you Within what is in and what is outside my skin There's no place where I'm just standing Out of space just begins Every piece of this world is a part of the whole Everything that I see is contained did to me physics talk of non-locality and mystical religions talk of universality some people will tell you that it's not duality and whatever it is you see it's not reality but even if you're stuck in the mindset of matter the fact you've got a mind means that even minds matter you'd be hard pressed to find that mind inside matter this material design's not a meaning making mind by mind i mean that awareness that you're being that's awake when You're looking and it's looking when you're seeing The dreamer who is dreaming and the one who's scheming About how to find the one that makes anything a beating But it's all a bit of a joke because the further that you poke In the armpit of the universe with a big telescope By stealing your mind or with a particle exploder The more what you find is your own body odor Every piece of this world is a part of the whole Every cell in this body is its own organism, it could have its own beliefs or even cellular religion, but from way out here with the whole body vision, I can see that each cell is a part of the mission. What if I'm a cell in something much bigger, like a tiny little nerve and a really big finger? It's a matter of awareness and a matter of scale. Each whole is a part, each part is a whole. If I was a whale, would I really be aware? Start to see what is bigger than me That I am part of life and life is part of me Then all that I see I can look on gratefully And I can do my part and live in harmony Every piece of this world is a part of the whole Everything that I see is connected to me What I give you is a gift
3: 歌bar, und dann gehen
1: Just um, said that she would like to give anybody who calls in to donate or uh, donates on the CortezRadio.ca website uh, until December 25th and mentions um, this this promo. Um, she'll give, and you, if you donate $50 or more, she'll give you a $250 value free consult with her. You can do this from anywhere you are because she can do them over zoom. So this doesn't mean that you have to be, uh, here, um, or on one of the little islands. So, that's pretty amazing. for for a fifty dollar or more donation to Cortez Radio, um, you can have two hundred and fifty dollars uh, worth of consulting with her. And I, I'm pretty sure that even just ten minutes of talking with her, you would be able to leverage that information uh, into well more than the fifty dollars. So I hope you'll take advantage of that as you uh, listen to the rest of this Awakeners song. Oh, Just... Welcome back to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. You are listening to Folk U Radio, and we are traveling a lot of ground today around money, around preconceived ideas around money, around who can actually make money, and about using what you have or even don't yet have in order to access um, or leverage what you have Uh to make more. We are really lucky to have with us, um, I don't know, expert moneymaker (laughs) Hong Lu. I I feel like I'm ill-equipped to describe her and and with just two words. So maybe we'll um, get her to come up with a a better slogan than expert moneymaker. Um, But I feel like we're getting very real world advice um, and we are going to go deeper and deeper. So one of the questions that I had gotten uh, before this show from one of our listeners, Monica, thanks for sending your question along, was along the lines of um, of whether or not then lines of credit are good or bad. And we've talked a little bit about the amazing potential of getting a line of credit um, against your mortgage against your. The your the value of your house. Um, sorry, I'm not saying this very well. Listen to the first half uh, of the show, um, and heel in particular. So, but I I'm wondering if there's any more of an answer that um, that you would give to to Monica when she asks about lines of credit, good or bad.
2: Yes. So, with lines of credits, it can be a super fantastic thing. And at the same time, it can be a very bad thing. So what I mean by that, for the good part of what a HELOC can do for you or a line of credit can do for you, if you listen to the first part of the conversation, if you've been with us all the way through, then you'll know how you can leverage that. Where it becomes a bad thing is if that line of credit is unsecured, meaning that it's not linked to your property, meaning that it's just... A line of credit that the bank has given you. And I say it's a bad thing because one, usually that line of credit is at a high interest rate, meaning it's seven, eight, nine, even 10%. The other reason why it could be a bad thing is because a lot of the times the bank will give you this line of credit unsecured at this very high interest rate so that you can pay off a credit card balance that you're carrying for months and months and months. And so the banks are actually encouraging you to say, hey, Mr. Client, we'll give you this wonderful line of credit at 10% so that you could pay off this credit card balance at 20%. And you're sitting there going, great, I can just move my money over and pay this credit card debt now at 10% instead of 20%. So it's a bad thing okay? because a lot of individuals do not end up paying off that line of credit in a reasonable time frame. So then they end up carrying this line of credit at 10%, let's say, interest rate for an extended period of time. And then at the same time, they take their new zero-balance credit card and they start racking it up again. So now they've got even more debt along with a line of credit debt at 10%. That is not generating income. It's not their golden goose. So now the way that you can turn your your line of credit into a good thing is when you can leverage it at a low, low interest rate. So what, you know, if it's prime plus 1%. You leverage that into making it an investment that will allow you to make passive income, allow you to have a golden goose, allow you to make extra cash flow. That's when that line of credit is a fantastic thing. But if it's anything other than that, it's probably bad debt.
1: Okay, that's really clear. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, really clear. And <laughs> um, I, I feel like this also lends itself to this next question, which is I'm hearing in my own life people talking about um, because the interest rates are really low right now, two things. One, let's refinance um, so I want to know, it, like, do you refinance? Because there are penalties with refinancing yes. um, when the interest rates are really low, like they are right now. Um, and they're probably going to go up. So, so one, do you refinance? And then the other thing that I hear people saying um, in my life is because the interest rates are really low, there, there's no reason to buy down their mortgage. Will you uh, tell me what you would do in, with these things?
2: Yeah, so I remember when I I got my first property, I was at an interest rate of 9%. And I remember people back then telling me, "Hong, you're lucky to get an, a mortgage at 9% because we had it at 15%." You know, so we are in this period as as we all know of historical low interest rates. So, I would still suggest and recommend that families pay off their primary residence as quickly as possible, regardless of the low, low, low interest rate. Partly because your primary home can be taken away from you if you stop making your mortgage payments, okay? So if you lose a job, if you come into some hard times, the bank is only gonna be so forgiving until some point they decide to take your home away. So the only way to mitigate that is to have a mortgage-free home. Okay. So regardless of the low, low interest rate, I would still recommend paying it off as fast as you can and utilizing the GLIDE method to do it under 10 years. And at the same time, leveraging your HELOC, the equity that you have to make other investments so that you can generate a lot more passive income. So... You know, which also leads into the refinancing question that if you are in a low rate right now, and let's say if you're in a variable rate, should you lock it in? Okay. So, this, as well as also a very personal decision, and does require where you sit down with a mortgage agent and you go through your numbers because. Everybody's situation is gonna be slightly different in terms of the numbers here, because it really depends on how much time you have left on your mortgage. But one of the things to keep in mind is that if you are able to find extra cash every single month to help pay down your mortgage, it may make sense for you to keep it at a variable so that you can utilize the Glad method and pay off extra cash into your mortgage faster. Whereas if you're locked in a fixed rate, It's usually a higher rate than what a variable rate would be. The other thing to keep in mind is that when you refinance, you can actually refinance several months prior to your renewal date. So if the rates are lower now and you think they're going to go up, which we're all sort of forecasting that it will next year, uh, we're forecasting that it's actually going to probably go up maybe four times next year. And every single time it's gone up, it's gone up by 0.25%. Maybe it might go up by 0.5%. So do your numbers and figure out, okay, well, if it went up by 0.25, what's the interest rate going to be for me and how much would my payments go up? And you can sit down with a mortgage agent and they can actually walk you through the calculations. And they can actually show you what your mortgage payments would be if it went up by 1%. And then then you can make a decision, okay, am I going to be able to afford this newer amount? And am I better locking in for three years or five years, right? So all of that is a very personal decision. And I would highly recommend that you sit down with somebody who can bring up a chart and help you through that. But in terms of refinancing, it, it doesn't hurt to look at your numbers and make an educated Plan forward with how your mortgage is going to be in the next few years because we are anticipating that, that rate hike. One of the interesting things that I found out is that if you are locked in a variable rate, it can take up to four to five years for the rate increases to take you to where a fixed rate would be. Right? So if you think about it, if you lock in at a variable rate for maybe three years, you still may be further ahead staying in a variable rate than switching over to a fixed. Okay, But this is where sitting down with somebody you trust at the bank or a mortgage agent and running through the numbers. Now, keep in mind that if you refinance before your term is up, there may be a hefty penalty that you have to pay. Okay, So also inquire about is there... Are they able to waive the penalties? Are they able to do something if there is a penalty for you so that you're not incurring several thousands of dollars potentially in a penalty to switch over? Okay.
1: Um, okay, so this, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, interest rates increasing. I might have like an unrealistic fear about it. I mean, one in, in the U.S. where I... Come from and where I, you know, bought my first houses, and it, 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 houses. That sounds really fancy, but like where I bought a house once for <laughs> with my partner for sixty five thousand dollars, and it was a duplex. Wow, the, like Amazing. things have changed. But also that was the hood. Um, so, um, so there you would have mortgages and they would be for 25 years with mm-hmm. with a particular interest rate and yes. so it just sort of felt safe like you could kind of imagine mm-hmm. what your your whole future was going to be with that with that mortgage and then here um where you don't have that kind of long-term forecast mm-hmm. and then i also have an uncle who I mean, kind of like you were talking about with your time, but even before, I think it was the eighties where it was like massive, massive, and what mm-hmm. reached like nineteen, twenty percent or something. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. mortgage interest rates, and um, I mean, lots and lots of people lost their homes. Yes. Can we, like, could we get there? What's what's possible, mm-hmm. and in what amount of time with interest rates? Yeah, and how scared should we be?
2: <laughs> so, so you are correct. Back in the late 80s early 90s interest rates were super high in canada across the board so how realistic is that to come back in the near future i would say not very likely partly because the banks are not in the business of taking people's homes they make their money by you making your mortgage payments by you making that interest payment as part of your mortgage and so if the rates shoot up to 6%, let's say, or even 10%, enough people would default on their mortgage, meaning that they're not going to pay because they just don't have enough money to pay it. The banks are going to inherit a list of homes that nobody is going to be able to afford and pay for a high mortgage. So the banks are then not going to make any money. So it is not in their interest to hike up the rates in a short period of time to above 5% in the double digits. It just doesn't make sense for them. Now, could this happen You know, a long time down the road? Yeah, it could, right? We could see what we saw back in the late 80s, early 90s, but it will take us a very long time to get there. So from some of the research that I've done on interest rates, the last time that we saw anything that went above a 1% interest rate was years and years ago, like in the 80s. So. If we're going to see an interest rate go up, it's going to be maybe 0.25, 0.5, at the most 1%. So they're actually forecasting that next year it would only maybe go up by 1% in the whole year. And potentially by 2023, maybe going up another percentage point at the most. So we're looking at maybe a 2% increase by the end of 2023.
1: Slow, a slow march up.
2: Yeah, slow march up. So the advice there is to sit down and actually look at what that 025 what that 0.5% increase would be. If you are in a variable rate or if you need to renew in the next year, sit down and calculate what that difference would be. So that's one of the reasons why I always recommend that if you have the extra cash, if you're able to do it, pay down your primary residence, even if the interest rates are so, so low, because the interest rate is not in, it's not in our control. Whereas what we do with our current income to pay down our primary residence is within our control.
1: I feel so much like just ah, at ease when I'm speaking with you. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about then, maybe related to this, um, the idea of a housing market crash. Um, you know, I lived through this um, in the US and we had to, you know, we bought high and, and sold low. And now, if I'd known you, we would not have made the horrible mistakes, but as it is, we um, were were burnt through mm-hmm. through that in the states. So, I mean, one, understanding what is a housing market crash and what is it? what is it in Canada? What would it mean in Canada if we had that? And would we experience it? the same way in these remote communities like the islands uh-huh. as they will experience it or might experience it in places like you know Toronto, uh, Vancouver, mm-hmm. et cetera?
2: Mm-hmm. So because I've been investing in real estate for 20 plus years, I've actually been through several cycles. So I've seen the market in Edmonton, Alberta where I was able to call home for a little bit. And so different parts of Canada will have a sort of a different economic bubble when it comes to real estate. And so when we talk about a real estate crash, I find that a lot of people will just say, oh my God, the real estate market's going to crash. It's going to crash next year. And so I'm not going to invest in real estate. I got to pull everything out because it's going to crash. So one of the things I like to remind myself about this whole concept of a real estate crash is... About 15 years ago, one of my friends said, Hong, I'm not going to buy real estate right now because the market's going to crash in Toronto. That was 15 years ago. To this day, he still has not bought a home. Okay. So, since 15 years ago, I've grown my portfolio several times over and bought real estate. And so, if you are in real estate and if you're in it long term and if you are aware of the risk and mitigate the risk, you can survive, you can get through the crashes, okay? So now there are some real estate investors that I know that lost a lot of money because they bought new builds or bought development land. So there's different strategies within real estate that when the market crashes, you could potentially really lose everything, Okay. But if you're in real estate long term and you can ride through the crash, ride through any of these bubbles, then you should do okay. So, if you go on Google, go on Google University, and just Google housing trends, housing prices, housing market, you could do this for Toronto, Vancouver, you know, across the board. You can find graphs of what the housing market was like and see where the last big bust was, right? Where, where the last crash happened. So in Toronto and in Vancouver, the last crash happened in the 80s, in like in, in the early 90s, late, late 80s. But you can also see that around 08, there was a bit of a lull, right? So we all have different sort of definitions of what a crash would be. So, so for me, when a crash happens, I'm, I've sort of taken the steps to protect myself because I'm in real estate long term and I don't over leverage, meaning that I don't max out everything to the point where I would have to default on a home. So as long as you take the mitigations, even if there's a crash, you'll see yourself through it. As long as you're able to make your mortgage payments, as long as your tenants are paying the rent, you will be able to make it through on any of these crashes. So the reason why I mentioned about finding those graphs is that you'll see that the overall trend in real estate has been going up, right? So there are years where there's no appreciation. The value of the houses don't go up, and potentially that might be five years, seven years, you know, maybe eight or nine years where there's no increase in the value. And we're seeing that in in parts of Alberta right now. But overall, you'll see that the trend goes up. And that's why people usually say, well, real estate is safe to invest in because of that trend. But what they overlook is that when there's these market corrections, where when there's these crashes, that the housing prices don't go up. And you could potentially buy a property and there's no appreciation. There's no growth in the market. And if you are stuck with a mortgage, you want to make sure that the tenants are paying rent because the rent is what's going to help pay for that mortgage. So so in terms of what a crash is, I would say that just as an as an investor, you want to keep your head down and just – Make sure that you're making smart purchases with your real estate, regardless of where you are in the cycle. I, I feel like when you
1: talk, I can start to understand that in a really more of a concrete way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you had said to me at one point was, you know, like a house is this like almost like it's a it's its own bank Mm -hmm. and if you've got someone else renting it and paying you know that towards that pot of of value that you will be able to get for it one day that it's pretty unusual that you can just you know all of a sudden at the end of 20 years have something that's worth four hundred thousand dollars and even if that is just the same amount of value as it was when you got it 20 years before that doesn't have to be a bad thing it sounds like what you're saying Correct, if yeah. you are being conservative about it
2: yes yes um
1: okay so this gets me to what i think is an ongoing issue on cortez which is um People, a lot of people I see who just don't have enough money to to get into the housing market. They don't, uh, you know, maybe they're self-employed. So they might be making actually a really good uh, income. Um, for the island But they're self-employed And mm-hmm. so they find it hard To get into a mortgage yes. Or maybe You know At this point on Cortez A starter house Is like a million dollars So And you know We just don't have The real estate inventory Although after the show I'm pretty sure Everyone is going to go And build A second rentable suite <laughs> So um, But until that's done We just don't have The inventory for people To kind of get into A starter home So What do, what do we tell those people?
2: Right so, so here's the thing. You don't need to buy real estate to get into real estate. You could continue to rent. And if you can find a great place to rent on Cortez, that's fantastic. Take that money and go and buy a condo. Go and buy a house somewhere else in Canada. You don't need to buy a home on the island to be able to live on the island. Although it's, it's amazingly nice to be able to have your own home where you're living. So... If you are not able to afford a home where you want to be, the other way to do it is to buy a pro- investment investment property somewhere else. Okay, so you mentioned about buying an investment property in the U.S. You could absolutely do that too, right? Maybe not in the nice areas, but you could buy an investment property for sixty-five, seventy-five thousand still, right? And if you're cash flowing, that cash flow will pay for that investment property. At the same time, pay for some of your rent money here, pay for some of your living. Because if, if you make decent money, even being on the island, you still may not be able to qualify for the mortgage through a regular bank. So you may have to go to a credit union, you may have to do private lending or do some sort of creative financing. But if you're not open to doing that creative financing, you can still invest in other parts of Canada. Right, that will still make you cash flow and still appreciate. So let's talk about um,
1: creative financing. Mm-hmm. So if you if you do think, okay, I'm going to get into a home, and maybe this is not going to be on Cortez. <laughs> um, where getting into home, as we already expressed, is is a lot. Um, you're self employed. You're you're making okay money, mm-hmm. um, enough that you could go to a small community, maybe, and get something you know normally priced. I don't know what that is anymore, but um, you know, two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. If you're not mortgageable through a credit union or a bank or the regular routes um, and you want to go for private lending, can you talk about how you think about that? Like when – like does it make sense when you're paying so much more interest rate to go that way and how do you make it make sense? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So absolutely. So one of the things that I do – with my passive income coming in is that I actually lend that money out to other investors so that they can buy investment properties and grow it. And so because I'm lending my money out, I'm acting as the bank. And so I am able to say to them, hey, Mr. Investor, I'm going to lend you this money and you can go and make your 20, 25% in real estate. And they are more than happy to turn around and give me my 10% that I'm asking for, let's say. So, if you're in that position where you're looking for somebody to act as the bank, you don't need to look very far because there are people in your community who may be interested in lending you the money at whatever rate you can negotiate with them, or they may be interested in letting you borrow their RRSP or TFSA for private lending as a mortgage. That is one avenue that a lot of people don't tap into so let's just say i have a million dollars sitting in my rsp and you come to me and you want to borrow that million i can do that through my rsp
1: okay wait so how like you how do you do that you can just say to your bank i'm i'm investing this money in manda
2: yeah (laughs) absolutely so the rsps and tfsa mortgages is what they're called You can only do those through specific institutions but once you set up the account it costs like what I think $100 or $200 to set it up you set it up and you can actually then just lend that money out to specific individuals on a mortgage so it has to be secured with a property and that the person who's borrowing it will just pay you back along with the interest and the amount that you lent to them through your your funds so now Another way to tackle creative financing is you can partner up with a group of people. So let's say you know three other people and you all have $100,000. Well, the group of you could put your chunk of money together, take that and buy a property together. And that you can leverage with the bank now to say, hey, Mr. Banker, we've got a group of investors here. We've got this chunk of money. We just need the balance of it to buy this investment property. And as long as that investment property makes sense and the numbers work out, the banks will look at it and fund it, potentially. So many investors will come in and they'll say, okay, we're going to buy a 15-unit building wherever they will actually only come in with a very small percentage of what they need to buy that property. The rest of it, they raise. They reach out to their network. They reach out to other investors. They reach out to other high net income people with good employment saying, hey, we're looking at buying this property worth X amount of money. Do you wanna come in on this deal? And that's another way to get that mortgage If you don't qualify for it on your own.
1: And then once you have it, then you can all of a sudden leverage that property to potentially get other places or or do. Okay. Wow. Okay. So the RRSP backed mortgages, you can't lend that money to yourself for a mortgage though. That is, Uh, is that, or can you?
2: Yes, there is portion that will allow you to lend it to yourself so the two companies that I'm very familiar with is called Canadian Western Trust so CWT and the other one is Olympia so they have their own website so I would suggest that you log into their websites explore around there and what you're going to look for is called non-arms length mortgages non-non arm's length mortgages those are ones where you can take your own rrsp and fund yourself which is an amazing thing if you can figure out how to do that with this company okay and to do that you know the cost of doing that you could you basically now become your own bank so yes you can totally do that
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, this is amazing. I'm. Uh, we've had a lot of time together, and um, I want to end with some kind of basic money tips. Do you have any kind of like, you know, like, okay, you, you, you fell asleep during the rest of the show. <laughs> um, you're just waking up now. You know, a couple, like, fast takeaways that someone
2: might be able to stay awake for. Okay, so let me share a joke before I get into the tips then, okay? Because I have a joke here. So... My kid came up with this joke, which is which is quite funny that he actually came up with this because he's fairly young. He goes, Mom, what does the bum say to the dollar? And I'm like, the bum, the dollar, what? He goes, what does the bum say to the dollar? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, do you have any change?
3: <laughs>
2: okay. So the, the, the tips or the takeaways that I would share with somebody is look at money in a different way. Question what stories you have around money and just be open to learning something new about money if you do not have the amount of money you want then figure out what amount you really want and then every day just do one thing to get closer to what it is that you really want when it comes to money one thing you could always say is okay well what can I do Today, what can I do this month to get me closer to that goal of making X, whatever that may be, okay? The other thing that I would say is, you know, regardless of your age, your education, and whatever financial situation you're in, you can make more money, okay, if that's what you you really want. And there's people out there, like myself, who will show you how to do that and who will help you along the way. You don't need to be scared about making money. I, I feel like after just this short
1: show with you, um, I, I believe that. So um, imagine if you had her just to yourself. And you don't have to imagine it because Hong was inspired while she was here to let you know that if you were to donate $50 or more by Christmas, by December 25th, 2021, um, to, to Cortez Radio, at CortezRadio.ca, you just go there and there's a big donate now button or um you can write a check or you can i don't know see someone in the parking lot and give them money Or if you can't figure all that out, you can email me at you at FolkU.ca. Make sure you say that you heard this promotion. And she is going to give you a $250 value consult for free in return for donating to keep this volunteer-driven radio station and FolkU Radio. Um, here and available for you. So that's pretty cool. Um, I also feel some personal pride because I feel like just, just with folk university, we all uh, have the capacity to really learn what we need to learn to become more resilient about lots of things, including, um, including money in our money mindset. So thank you so much, Hong, for this incredible. You're
2: welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
1: um, If people want to learn more about you um, or find out more about your coaching, what's your website? Where do they go?
2: So it's it's www.cashproperty.ca. So all singular cash and property.ca.
1: And uh, you can always email me at you at folku.ca. That's a letter U at f o l k u.ca, and I will help you track down any of our guests, including Hong. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Folk U Radio. We are taking old school viral every Friday at one, and repeats Monday at six thirty at CKTZ eighty nine point five FM. Or you can live stream us at CortezRadio.ca repeats anytime are on the FolkU.ca podcast, uh, FolkU.ca website uh, backslash podcast. So lots and lots of ways uh, to revisit this information and lots of other information. Uh, There will be more in this series next week. Until then, be well, neighbor. Mm -hmm.
0: show to a stranger the love of saying info Some victory Breath is a blessing.
1: for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's f o l k u.ca. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio.ca. My little brain's almost always got
0: something lame, it's